Conversations with Amazing Me, Amazing You. Hi, Emily. I am so excited to have you here today as my guest. I have the beautiful, amazing, magnificent Emily Nairi Dawson, an incredible Irish original art and fashion designer. It is such an honor to have you here, Emily. And the first thing I want to say is about your uh, name, because I was saying Nairi instead of Nairi. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Straight in at the deep end. (laughs) Um, My name was given to me in a journey. I think it was the first journey I did with a shame in, in this lifetime and um, a Native American um, uh, gave me this name at a, at a very, in a very lucid vision at a fire and he was like, your name is Nairi and this is how you spell it. It was spelled out to me, so to spell it that way specifically. And because I was breaking the law <laughs> at the time, I used to live in empty houses in Dublin and squat houses when I had nowhere to live. So I, I began to use that name so I didn't get my family in trouble. <laughs> There's the truth for you. And then like, my name is Dawson. So later I started adding Dawson onto it. But for like five or ten years, I used the name Nairi. Yeah. So are you originally yeah, Emily I'm, Dawson? Yeah, I'm, I'm Emily Dawson. But um, I use I use the names Nairi for the art and um, because I really liked it ah. because um, I, I have a tendency to translate um, words that I don't understand to Irish. So when I started thinking about Nairi, the only thing that popped to mind was Gunairi on Boherlat, the old Irish proverb. And Nairi in that sense would mean, I know there's a prefix on it, but it would mean rise. So I like the idea of rising to rise like you're always improving yourself or getting better or working on yourself and whatever so um yeah I adopted the name Nairi and I used it for my art and my street art and I liked it and then I had the Dawson was missing for a while because I didn't want the cops arriving at my parents door because of any houses I was breaking into to live in Dublin and uh, (laughs) and later when I got out of trouble I start using my real name again I'm incredibly honest Steph and I apologize in advance for that all filters are gone now it's 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 time the veil is lifted oh Emily I love your honesty I love that Emily and I think that's why I'm so drawn to your Instagram page you know it's just uh, your authentic self is just shining out of it so I love it so what was a little bit of your story? Would you be comfortable to share a little bit of your story that brought you to where you are today? So I guess it started in the Dublin mountains when I was a kid. I lived in a mobile home. My parents were from inner city Dublin, from Finglas and Cabra. And they decided to buy some land in the Dublin mountains uh, to get us out of the city. And um, <clears throat> I grew up in a mobile home with no electricity. I had no electricity until I was a teenager. So I think that contributed to um, my early art, um, you know, tendencies because there was literally nothing to do. 
and my mom would just give me loads of colors and I'd be drawing pictures for three or four hours and like I'd be finished and she wouldn't know what else to do so she'd just be like I'll draw more pictures draw more pictures put more colors in you know and she used to let us draw on the walls of the caravan as well so I was a muralist from a very young age and um I think it was like drawing Disney pictures at that stage like but uh, it developed since then thank god but um yeah, that's where it started. And I know TV. Um, we had a tiny black and white TV that once every six months, my dad would hook up to the car battery and let me watch Bosco. And the screen would be getting smaller and smaller as the, the, the battery was dying. <laughs> the car battery was dying. And then I, my mom often laughed. She'd just be like, you'd be like, bye, Bosco, bye, Bosco. And the screen would be disappearing. So that's a family joke on me. Um. But uh, <laughs> I know I laugh at it now. It was tragic at the time. But <laughs> um, like that's that's where it began. I was always out in the garden, and in hindsight, I was always there was nothing in the garden except chickens and a driveway full of stones. And I was always picking up stones and playing with them and building castles and knocking them down. And in hindsight, like later in life, I did a bit of study with some shamans and stuff, and I got like. I should really remember what the name of it is now. Is it a mall or Mesa or something? It's like 10, 15 years since I was doing that now. But um, like I start working with stones a lot. Like anywhere I go now, I pick up stones and carry them around. And I, I, I have a huge collection of crystals and stuff. So looking back, I was, I was actually playing with stones from a very young age. So I think the lack of electricity and TV gave me a great start in life, even though I didn't realize it at the time. Because I'd be in school and kids would be saying, did you see what happened in Home and Away? And I'd be like, what's Home and Away? Like, you know, so um, like that led on to my teenage years. <clears throat> I was very quiet. I was very shy. Uh, I didn't talk very much. I had some close friends and we were all quite quiet and that sort of thing. Um, I went to art college in Galway when I was, I think, like about 19. And... For the first time, I started to see, no, actually, maybe I was a bit older when I went to art college because I, w- I did a few years in Dublin first in art college. But um, uh, when I went to Galway, like there was 150 people in my year and I always felt like I was very different. And because of that, I think I kept my voice to myself a lot because I didn't know how to express who or what I was. But when I went to the art college in Galway, like there was about 150 people in my year and we were all mad <laughs> for want of a better word and I started to think oh my goodness maybe there is other people like me in the world it's just the concept ne- just never occurred to me like when I you know in my teenage years I was under bridges in Wicklow on my own with a spray can after seeing like graffiti magazines from America going I'm gonna use this spray can on this bridge I wish I had some friends that understood this <laughs> you know, just me on my own like trying to do this graffiti like you know and uh when I got to art college, there was other people, yeah, that, that did the same things as me and that talked on a philosophical level the way I would have taught myself, like, in my mind, but I never really would have had a chance to vocalise. So I began to make connections. It, I was still very shy. I dropped out of art college. Um, I started getting very sick. I went to the skin and cancer hospital for tests. They told me I was allergic to alcohol and I was um, I wouldn't have been like a big drink or anything, but I was just having the odd drink at the weekend like every student does. 
and I was getting very sick every week um violently sick like and it turned out I was just like completely allergic to alcohol but I was getting yeah. sick from it for about a year before I realized oh. so I cut out all alcohol and uh that was about yeah like 2021 it wasn't easy so what I did it and I haven't drank a drop of alcohol since ever so that that's been a gift and um Mm-hmm. yeah so that was college I then when I left college I got into the festival mm-hmm. scene in Ireland as in I bought a camper van and I start going to festivals and offering them to do art for the festivals for free if I brought a little crew um I had it like festival art tribe and we used to go and do a bit of art for free and get into the festival for free and have a buzz for a few weeks we used to go festival to festival all summer and I made a lot of friends around the country in that way, had great times. And then the camper van died. And then I ended up in a protest camp in Dublin in 2011 because I, I sort of didn't really have anywhere to live anymore. And I ended up in the first day of Occupy Dame Street. And I was saying to myself, no one's going to pitch tents and stay in Dame Street, but I'm going to go and see what happens. And surprisingly enough, they did. And I ended up staying there for five months in a tent. Wow. <laughs> and then on the last night, the cops came and roughly tore us out of the place. And I was there for that. It was very traumatic. I was hiding behind the news camera. I was hiding behind the RTE camera saying, I'm not going on RTE. I remember the interviews. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, it was it was it was the best of times and it was the worst of times, let's just say. You know, it was uh, it was intense, like hundreds of people a day talking to us. It was a real awakening time. Mm. Um, everyone was downloading and sharing a lot of information. And wow. Occupy was a real, um, I felt like it was a real facilitation space for people to speak about what they might have found um, solace in their own families or friends. Uh, you know, like, you know, yourself, like I don't even like using the word awakening because, again, it's one of these new age buzzwords but for want of a better way of explaining it when you start waking up to what's going on like you want to talk to people and maybe the people in your circle are not uh, facilitating that so you will go and find that wherever you can and occupy was that and I was there 24 7 so it was like it was an intense five months on top of that like maybe getting one or two hours of sleep and night the tents and always being on high alert and in hindsight I would have been in consistent like fight or flight mode, you know, when you start analysing these things, looking back. So it would have been hard on the body and mind in a way, but also a fabulous experience that I'm so glad I was there for. And that that shaped then, when I left that, I had no home. So I ended up, um, I slept in my car for a few months in car parks uh, at the Blessington Lakes. And I, I went to the garages like Enfield. I used to drive down to the garage and have a shower and uh, just sleep in the car in truck stops and stuff at night. And then the car broke. And I was in, I, someone told me about Dublin City. Someone said someone is squatting houses in Dublin City. And I didn't really know what squatting was. But for, you know, for the record, squatting is just going into an empty abandoned house and taking it for yourself and sleeping in it, putting locks on it. So. I was introduced to the squatters in Dublin. I I was handed the keys to a, an apartment, and uh, I lived in that for a good while. And um, 
it was a it was a large Georgian house and there was like nine apartments in it and most of us were squatters and we formed a big community and like we all got on together, everyone had their own room and all that. But then, you know, we started having raves and parties and stuff and it went quite wild. And uh, I won't say too much on that subject. So then that went, that's what went down. Eventually Nama came in, took us to High Court and this, that and the other. And I, I, it was my first, um, my first uh, experience in learning the law. So I started, I was up in court and I didn't want to use a solicitor. So I started teaching myself the law about um, like um, um, in regards uh, housing and, uh, you know, all that. So yeah, court was fun. I, I love the language of law. I love language. I love poetry and um, raps and music. And I love the use of language and, and how it's used. So to learn the law and the way language is used in law was very interesting. And to go to court and have the cracks they put in it to use. I just said my prayers to God and just said, please let me get out the other side of this. I'm going to have some fun. So uh, that was, it was good, good buzz and we got out well and I, I, I went through that a couple of times at different spots and I, I, I see it as an experience because it was good, it was good learning experience to see how, how the law system in our country is run. And then there was a few other squats after that and then like just three years ago, um, my hard drive was stolen. I started getting my act together, I got out of squatting and I, I just um, got, got a place to stay up in the countryside. And um, my hard drive, my handbag was stolen. My hard drive was, and I had just started co- compiling all my artwork from the past twenty years. And people were starting to buy my prints, and I got all the original files of the artwork and put them on one big new hard drive. And yeah. next thing, the bag was stolen, and twenty years of my artwork was gone in one moment. Gosh. And this was like three years ago, just could be three and a half now. No, it's January, so maybe January, maybe it's four years three or four years ago and yeah it was like it was I'm I'm so I don't know whether I'm just not in my body enough or whether I actually just process things really quickly because I laughed for about 40 seconds and then I cried for about 20 seconds and then the whole thing was processed I was just like your life's work is gone (laughs) it's just like that I just but like the aftermath of it was I didn't want to do more because I was like I've lost 20 years do I do I do another twenty years? What do I do? So I stopped doing art. Yeah, it was oh it was rough for about three months. I stopped doing art, and that doesn't feel very familiar to me. Like when I'm not doing art, I start going like, who am I? <laughs> you know, how do I process what comes up? Because that's what my art became for me was a way to process what comes up for me in in, in life. And um, so. About three, four months later, I like I, I believe in God, I pray to God a lot. I, I hit rock bottom, I was just devastated and I no direction. I lay down on the ground and I said to God, Will you be my manager, please? I am I'm done. I don't want to manage my own life, I don't want to manage my career. I was like, I'm trying this thing for twenty years and everything I do is like it, it's beautiful, tragically beautiful, but <laughs> it's also a mess, you know. And uh, like, I just didn't know how, what to do next. So within a couple of hours on the same day, the phone rang 
And a lady who I had asked to be my agent a year earlier, but nothing much had happened within that year with her. She's a lady that had a lot of networking and contacts and she was a friend and she always supported the art shows we had in town and stuff. So I just, I was like, she's really good at doing all the emails and stuff I don't want to do. So maybe she can be my agent. And I just asked her and um, she's a lovely lady. The phone rang after I talked to God the same day and uh, the lady rang me and said, I've come into some money. I want to invest in you. I want to get you a new laptop. I have a lady that's going to New York Fashion Week in six weeks time. Um, would you be able to make it half the collection because she won't have the full collection ready on time? So would she, the collection is 24 pieces. Could you make 12 pieces within six weeks? What? And I had only made one of these jumpers for myself. And the agent lady had randomly spotted me in town one day with one of the jumpers on. I was only doing art and I printed my art onto one jumper for myself. And randomly in town one day, previous to this phone call, the lady had spotted me in Dublin and said, oh, well, are you putting your art on fashion now? And I was like, oh, I guess I am. And that was all. That led to her thinking of me when she talked to the fashion designer. I met with the fashion designer and um, the money didn't come through till two weeks before New York Fashion Week. I lived in a 10 foot long caravan. Oh, my goodness. I got the sewing machine out in the 10 foot long caravan and I made 12 garments within two weeks time. And when, when I was about to get on the plane, I was like, this collection, I knew nothing about fashion. Like, I still know nothing about fashion and <laughs> learning, but I don't know much. Uh, like, I don't, I didn't even know what a fashion designer was. Like, it was like three years ago, four years ago. And I was like, this collection needs something. And there was a full length fake four coat that I had made when I was living in the Occupy camp, the protest camp in 2011. I woke up one day and I couldn't feel my legs up to my knees because it was so cold and it was really scary and I had gone and got myself a load of fake fur and made this full length big white fake fur coat that I used oh, to wear around yeah. town in the camp and um, the coat was still in my mum's attic so I went and took the coat out of the attic and it wouldn't fit in the suitcase so I brought it to America on my lap in the plane and slept on it and I put it on the runway and when we got to America, the first show I had was in Times Square, an hotel in Times Square. And an established designer over there and his uh, wife were in the front row with a big entourage of people that are seemingly like NBA players and people off telly and all this. And he fell in love with the coat and he ran around, his PR ran around to me straight after the show and he was like, my guy has got to have this coat, man. He's got to have that coat. He was like, so he's just like, how much is it? And I was like making up prices off the top of my head and he tried the coat on and then he ordered one for his wife as well. Um, the rest is history. I've had about 10 shows in America now um, over the last couple of years and I'm just making loads of fashion. Wow. And I feel like God gave it to me when I asked him for help. So by no means am I a fashion designer, but I make myself really good. Uh, everything I feel I have to do so I, I I study and I learn and I do my best at it and that's a really long-winded version of my life story <laughs> I love it oh my goodness Emily that's incredible 
So you are a real survivor and a really creative soul, like a deeply creative soul from such a tiny age to be spray painting under bridges to now New York. That's incredible. Some days I feel strong and some days I feel soft. <laughs> I think though, listening to that story, Emily, I think you, you have always had that inner strength. You know, I said to a friend recently, it's easy for me to be hard. And it's hard for me to be soft. I'm learning to be soft these days because I've never had that. Yeah. That's what this collection is about as well. The, the rose gold. Yeah. Beautiful. And I loved what you posted on one of your IG posts the other day about, you know, the what we carry ancestrally, what we carry with us. It's a whole story, like, you know, and we do. And like, the ch- there's chains. I know I'm on a video chat with you. The people listening to the podcast won't see it, but this, collection like there's chains around her her neck in the artwork and stuff and it's just more of like carrying the chains as as more of a fashion statement or, or a reminder these days but they they can be just yes. like a piece of bling they don't have to be chains that that bind us anymore that's what the sort of you know because you know trauma is ancestral and trauma is generational as well and you can see patterns if you look back through your family where similar things happen to your parents and your grandparents and stuff and I think we're given the big things that come up in our lives we're given the opportunity they come up because we're given the opportunity to clear the path the pattern and drop it and not make the same mistakes again let's say so it's just yeah an awareness of that and a a wish to to cancel anything that we don't want in our lives anymore no we can do that I love that. I love that. I find that so empowering that whatever has been passed on from generation to the next, you know, and even if we we're holding it now, we do have the opportunity now to release it and soften and create that more loving relationship with ourselves and just to find that peace within ourselves that we don't have to keep carrying it for the next generation and pass it on again. We can actually, we can be where it stops. I love that idea. Yeah. Uh, that's something I got from listening to some of your podcasts. Like I like your story, and um, I like anyone who talks about this stuff because while we can learn on our own, it, it, it's really nice to connect with others and communicate. Like communication is a big thing we think about a lot, and something I'm actually working on, on mastering in the background is like I, I don't think we ever actually master anything, but. I want to be a master communicator in such, in, and not only like, I was discussing this recently with people, like you don't only communicate with your words, you communicate with your emotions. So to be a master of the emotions and the, the words so that I sh- should or could be able, my aim would be to be able to communicate anything, no matter how hard or soft to anybody. And let there not be a disturbance. Like if you're a master communicator, there should be a possibility for for us to be able to achieve that. And I love that idea because I think going forward now with um, everything that's going on in the world, we all need each other more than ever. And togetherness is a very essential um, necessity. And for togetherness in experience, in communication is most like forefront because I've lived in different the spots like the, some of the spots had 30, 40 people living in them yeah. and I know 
like I was a yeah. screaming mess in some of them, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like, I mean, we had squat meetings and 30 people trying to figure out how to live together. And I was horrible. You know, I was like angry. I was, you know, you know, so like, yeah, all that leads to me wanting to be able to control my emotions and communicate better, you know, and um, I, I love it all because it, it teaches you. Communication now is is where it's at. I love that idea of, you know, for me as well, Emily, I would have been somebody who always reacted, always, always. If somebody said something that was a trigger, I would have just lashed out. It would have been a reaction, you know, how dare you speak to me like that? Or or thinking in my mind, how rude of them or how, you know, how dare they say something or behave that way? And then, but I was always looking out at somebody else. And then once I started learning about, you know what, my feelings are actually for me and my feelings aren't about pointing the finger and blaming someone else for how I feel, but my feelings are my creation. And so if I'm feeling that upset, I need to take action for myself. And so my feelings are my wisdom saying, Steph, you know, you're upset because you're not looking after yourself here. So show up for yourself and speak up for yourself and whether it's create a boundary or just, just speak your truth. So last night I was doing a a workshop and it was around triggers. And uh, one of the examples that we were speaking about is that, you know, if somebody had said to me before, oh, you're you're overreacting or don't be so sensitive or something, I would have immediately personalized it. And, but I would have squashed down my feelings. I wouldn't have been honest saying, don't you dare call me that. I'd have been thinking it, but I wouldn't have said it. I'd have been saying more swear words, but I wouldn't have said it out. And now I'd be in a much more comfortable, more loving place to actually say, do you know what? Whatever's coming up for me is for me. So if I'm feeling irritated or attacked or criticized, that I can just say so kindly and communicating kindly saying, you know, I see this really differently and I feel I'm intuitive and I feel uncomfortable now. And I don't see it as being insensitive, but all those I messages and just owning how I feel and, and just what you're saying there, Emily, you know, communicating gently and honestly. So it doesn't have to be a conflict. It's just holding on to our truth and speaking our truth without confronting someone else or attacking or counterattacking. And it's so powerful. Most powerful, I would say. And, um, you know, I started my own little YouTube channel at the start of the first I don't like the word lockdown so um uh yeah I I did that and I set it up in such a way that it just it's there for people if if they want to connect but I just wanted to give myself a little platform basically similar to what you're doing to talk and it's called the radical openness sessions which was an idea we had back in the squat days we used Mm -hmm. to have a little circle and just talk about everything um but the idea being radically open truth you know and um when truth is facilitated all sorts of magical things can happen and we don't realize how much we even lie to ourselves like i'd on a normal basis i'd hate to admit that but (laughs) in the interest of speaking the truth like i find things that i lie to myself about every day still you know after years of doing this work so uh, it's always an ongoing journey but there's such potency in this time this 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 time is is such a gift and funny thing about me is um that like because I went through all that stuff hating the government and protesting and all years ago I saw I knew all this was coming let's say 10 years ago I was telling people when we were back in the camp the system's going to fall people are going to be tightening their grip they're going to be controlling more and this and that so 
I was I started to thought all this had happened sooner. I didn't know the exact details of what way it was going to happen, but I did. I I, I am aware that there's spiritual warfare going on, and um, that it doesn't even have to be warfare. It's more of just a, a spiritual journey, let's say, you know, and and that you choose your sides now, and if you want to be on the side of good, like it's really up to us to turn up every day mm-hmm. and nurture the good in ourselves. And then when we're full up, perhaps support or nurture the good in others. Um, mm-hmm. and, and like, obviously outwardly, like I'm a fashion designer, but my first and foremost interest is let's say spirituality, which I use that term loosely too, because it has its own connotations. But like I, I the good, the wellness of everyone's yeah. soul, my interest you know on people's soul journey and in that respect we're in the best time for that because everyone's given time with their own soul that we never had before and what a gift because even I know if I was in New York Fashion Week last week when I had my show I'd be so busy and tired right now and instead I have time to talk to you and I love the shows I love traveling around the world grateful for everything that happens and I always meet people with amazing stories and journeys so it all ties in and works but self-time is essential to figure out where where your soul journey is at yes and um, I just see this all as such a gift you know um thank god for it yeah and Emily did you say you were away for a few weeks there yourself yeah, I ran off to Connemara. I love that you took t- that you can take time for yourself like that, though, because Emily, I would have been so averse to spending any time on my own. It was like an alien idea to actually spend time alone because I would have been. I think I had uh, such value, or I placed so much value on doing and being busy, and I would have been afraid of spending time on my own. So the first time I had a date with myself was huge for me. I was almost afraid if I bumped into anybody that they'd think I'd lost my marbles that I was spending time on my own doing nothing just a date on my own and uh and then but oh my goodness the quietness that I experienced and just the I could just feel my whole body relaxing that first time that I just went to the beach on my own and it just uh, it was the beginning of okay having regular dates with myself because I would have been afraid to spend that quiet time with myself and now it's probably the best time for me to actually feel replenished and um, just catch up with myself, you know, and find that softness with myself. Yeah. Um, it's funny as well. Like for me, a long time, it wouldn't happen too much over the past 20 years, let's say. I was always moving and running, and, you know, um, on the go. But there was a couple of years I did live on my own in the house in the Wicklow Mountains there. like. Um, years ago now and I learned to overcome all mm. fearfulness of being alone in that time I think not all fearfulness but maybe most of it um obviously like I'm very intuitive and stuff so I'd have a lot of psychic stuff going on and I'd like I see ghosts and you name what I don't see like I, like all that stuff goes on for me too so all that came up in a big way in those years that I lived in that cottage and I'd hear noises and I'd see things and I had to learn how to navigate all that on my own 
And then the homelessness, like there was nights in Dublin that I was sleeping in empty houses on my own and the back door would be open. You wouldn't know if anyone mm-hmm. came in on top of you or wow. what was going to happen. But the funny thing is, and it's pure funny, because like all the worst things that could possibly happen to a person in a lifetime have already happened to me. So I feel like I've nothing left to be afraid of, you know, and that's a really awesome place to find yourself standing. Really? I can't say that I'm completely fearless because there always must be some humbleness and and, and mm-hmm. understanding that to let the ego into it and all. But I, yeah, I've faced like I I died like I left my body in one of the beatings I took in one of the squats. I I left my body and went up and I met the angel Gabriel and Gabriel said to me, "Do you want to keep going towards the light which was in front of me, or do you want to come back?" And I felt like I had, I don't know what it was now, obviously maybe fashion, <laughs> I don't know. but uh, I, the answer that came into my head when I asked that question, I could see the light and all that, the way they just, dis- not exactly the way they describe it, but I could, I was in that place and um, after being violently beaten and, uh, and just uh, ready to go, yeah. my spirit had left my body definitely. And um, I, I, I just felt I have more to do. I felt the journey's not finished yet. So that I said, I feel I have more to do. I better go back. And I woke up then the next day in a lot of pain or whatever. And, you know, life went on. Yeah. And, um, like, so, like, I've died. <laughs> like, what else is there left to fear? You know what I mean? And that's brilliant. That's deadly. <laughs> you're incredible. You are, you're a warrior and a survivor. And a beautiful creative soul. And Emily, what would you say to your younger self now? What have you learned? You know, what wisdom have you learned that you'd say, oh, I wish I had known this when I was younger? The thing that's popping to mind is don't worry. You know, um, I think I have a line in one of my poems, if I can remember. It says something like, if you knew the ending of your story turned out okay, would you have worried yourself? So, ah, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like if you watch a movie and you know it has a happy ending, would you be freaking out all the way through the movie? So I'd like to say uh, it's okay. Yeah. I'd like to say have faith because faith is a huge thing. Yeah. I'm still developing. Yeah. But yeah. Faith gives me reason to go on. Like I believe in all everything that's going on at the moment. The yeah. world is becoming a much better place, even though visibly it seems like it's gone the other way. And it's just going to be five or ten years and all that system has gone down. And, like, I've waited a long time to see that happen, many lifetimes, actually. So, like, we're due yeah. a lovely, beautiful, connected, community-based, organic, holistic yeah. um, rest of our lives, actually. Mm. And we get to choose every day what we put our focus on. And that's why I will go and give myself what I need instead of confining myself to what other people tell me I need. Because nobody knows better what I need than me or let's say God or the guidance that I ask for every day. And I ask God every morning, what will I do? What will I do today? Where can I go? What can I do? I'm told clearly. Can I just go and do that? Um, So far, so good. Yes. But my younger self, Comfort and love, self-care. Like, I'm only learning self-love now. Like, I got Louise Hayes' book, You Can Heal Your Life, 22 years ago, put in my hand by my mum. And she said, 
them, you know, self-love. Oh, yeah. But there's a difference between, I read that book, I could tell it, I could probably just spout that book off the top of my head because I've read it so many times. But like, there's a difference between reading and realising, you know. So I listen to a lot of different people, you know, and I just, I take some of the things they say and some of the things I leave or whatever. But Joe Dispenza is one of the guys I listen to and he talks about heart-mind coherence. So what I've been doing in the last eight months or so is, practicing love so I like you know we think we know what love is or we think we know what self-care is but I started thinking to myself about eight months ago what is love like what's real love like because you know say Abraham Hicks and I would say like that like you know there's two ends of every stick and you know what we may have thought was love in the past may have just been lack of love or may have been like some limp watered down version of love so I started going what would real real love true love feel like like as a feeling and I know like from man you know manifestation work that yes manifestation is not about the affirmations if you're doing affirmations and you don't have you don't feel it you're not going to get the thing so I was like I have to feel love so like making this whole collection the last collection I sit and the studio was when I do my work because I'm sewing but the mind is active so I prefer to make it active on things that can benefit me or else listen here, here, um, lectures and stuff. And, um, I just start saying, love and closing the eyes. What does it feel like? And I sit down and put my hand on my stomach and be like, if I was really love now and I really love myself, what would it feel like? And I sit there doing that 10 times a day now until I built up this continuous vibration of being able to go to love in any moment and like love and fear are the opposite so everything (sighs) negative that's going on in the world at the moment is fear-based so if you can go to love in any moment of fear wow love fear can't get in like if you feel your whole self and consciousness and room and abode and, and life with love Nothing else. There's no space for anything else. It's like turning on the light and the dark can't come in. It just can't come in. So, uh, like, that's my little inner journey at the moment. I just inspired by Joe Dispenza's um, workshops that he's doing and stuff. Just hearing about them and having yeah. done them. But just knowing that he's getting large amounts of people to practice love. And he's measuring the, um, like, he's measuring the bodies and they're scientifically showing what happens in the body when that happens and the heart-mind coherence and it goes off the scale what happens when you have a transcendental experience and we can all do that on any day so it's a choice and that's you know that's another thing I say to myself every day is a choice we have a choice every day we choose love we choose fear we choose restriction we choose freedom you know that's 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 a fundamental human choice every day yeah that we've been gifted with. I love it, Emily. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, something that I heard at the beginning of the year with each new breath, we have a choice. You know, that it, we don't have to wait to the next day or, okay, I'll start tomorrow or I'll start. We can actually start with each new breath. And breath is a fundamentally important subject at the moment, you know, because we're being told the air is dangerous at the moment, you know. So fundamentally, we need to 
practice safe breath and believing that breathing can be safe. It's a fundamental light work to be done at the moment. And trusting, trusting our breath and trusting our bodies and trusting that we we have all that we need, you know, trusting our own wisdom, that inner wisdom and the feeding in our belly, that gut feeding, our intuition. There's so much of it to, yeah, I think I'll be practicing that forever, you know, trusting myself in every single aspect with every breath. Yeah. Emily, thank you so, so much. I think we'll wrap it up. I think we could stay talking all day, but we will uh, wrap it up. And I just, I am hugely grateful for you sharing your time and your wisdom and your passion and your beautiful soul with us today. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks so much, Steph. Uh, I'll continue to listen to your podcast and the lovely wisdom that you put out on Instagram each day. And I hate to say it because I have my own qualms with Instagram and social media, but I'd like to thank Instagram ads in that way because that's how I found you. You just popped up on my timeline one day and I was like, oh, look at this lovely lady. So uh, that 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 was a good moment to make that connection. I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you.